Some of you guys remember uh, last last Sunday we, we covered a John chapter 15 and um, we we didn't go we weren't able to go through the whole chapter so we're going to finish it today we're going to finish chapter 15 today and, and uh, so just a little quick overview of chapter 15 chapter 15 the the little subtitle here on chapter 15 of the Gospel of John is called the True Vine and we saw Jesus use a metaphor to, to relate himself to the disciples. To, uh, to relate themselves to the disciples and then to relate the relationship between the, the father, you know, the son as a vine and then the disciples or believers as the branches. And we learned that, that, that we as believers in Christ, that, that, that the Lord likens us to branches attached to a vine with the father as a vine dresser, as a gardener. And the Lord Jesus spoke of, of three different types of branches here in John chapter 15. One branch was a branch that, that, that was abiding but yet it was not bearing fruit. And if you guys remember, we, we, we talked about you know, the, the special attention that the Lord gives to those, to those branches in the body of Christ that, that are abiding but, but are not producing fruit. You know, and, and we mentioned how, it, how the word there says, uh, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. How that word right there in the Greek is a, is a, world, is a word, aros, which means to, to lift up. You know, and and what this what the what Jesus was was likening it to was a was a vine dresser. You know, in the day back in the day when they had these vineyards, there would there would be these vines that would just get stuck in the ground, or that would just end up falling on the ground, and dirt would accumulate on top of it, mud would accumulate, and and as as it would water it, it would just create puddles. So this vine would just get stuck in the puddle, and would, it would never produce fruit because it would be drowned out by by the mud and the water. So the what the vine dresser would do that he would give special attention to it. He would. He would, you know, put these stakes down. He would tie the vines up so it could be above ground. You know, he would uh, just tend to it as, as, as he saw fit in order to make it produce fruit. So we saw that, that, that the Lord likens, likens this, this specific type of branch to, to certain believers in the body of Christ who, who, for whatever reason, are not producing fruit. And he gives them special attention. I mentioned how I was so, how I was so personally uh, uh, thankful for the Lord, for the Lord's special attention in my life, the special attention that the Lord gave me in those, in those dry, unfruitful seasons. You know, the Lord just seems like He just came down and just ministered to me, just so so uh, so special, you know. And in order to 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 just get me, you know, to be producing fruit, and then the Lord the Lord uh, talked about another type of branch, a branch that was abiding in the vine and that was producing much fruit. And the Lord mentioned how how this type of branch how He would prune so it could produce much fruit. And we talked about uh, what the Lord meant right there is is that you know. There's certain certain members in the body of Christ that are just man, they're just flourishing for the Lord, they're producing fruit, you know, and that the Lord, you know, in order for that person to produce more fruit, that He would start to begin to begin to prune away certain things in that person's life, you know. And it wasn't always a painful process. Sometimes it was just getting rid of that excess weight. Paul, then there in the New Testament, he says um, in the book of Hebrews, he says, "Brethren, let us lay aside, you know, every every weight." And every sin that so easily entangles us, that we may run freely this race in Christ. So we see that that sometimes in our in our walk with the Lord, things hold us back, and these things aren't aren't, aren't always necessary sin. It is sin, but sometimes it's just extra weight that we're carrying, things that we're just extra baggage that we're carrying us with us as we're walking with the Lord that are just holding us back. Things that that the Lord is calling us to let go. You know, I was talking with Brother, Brother Gabriel earlier, and we we're just talking about certain movies and certain things that we don't listen to anymore that we don't watch anymore because they weren't they weren't causing us to grow in our, in our walks with the Lord sometimes it's things like that sometimes it's certain things that we're, that we're giving attention to that are just holding us back 
that the Lord just comes in and just starts pruning away in order that, that, that we'll just uh, be able to produce more fruit in Him. And the Lord gave a third example of a branch. And uh, it's there in verse 6. It says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. So there in John chapter 15, the Lord gives this, this other example, this third branch, a branch that is not abiding. And now the key, the key phrase right there is not abiding. He says, if anyone does not abide in me. He said this branch that, is, that does not abide in him you know, is, is, a, is a branch that, that withers away, dries up, gets all crusty, and then gets thrown into the fire. You know, and, and we mentioned how, how it is possible for somebody to, to, to have the appearance of abiding in Christ. You know, to have the appearance of having a relationship with the Lord, but yet never be attached to the vine. One example is Judas Iscariot. How he, he spent just as much time with the Lord as the other disciples. You know, and, and, and how the Lord truly just poured into him as much as he poured into the rest of the guys. He loved them. You know, he took special care of him. He, he poured into him. You know, he taught him. He, 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 he allowed him to see all his miracles. So there was, there was nothing, you know, special about Judas Iscariot. It's just that he would just... He just never loved Jesus. You know, he never attached himself to the vine. And, and we see that, that he ended up be, betraying Jesus. I mean, as we're reading this chapter, he's right now making a deal with the, with the religious Pharisees of the time and selling Jesus off for 30 pieces of silver, which is the price of a common slave of the day. So we see that there is these people sometimes in the church or sometimes, you know, who claim to know the Lord and, and, but are never abiding in him. And, and, you know, and the Lord brings up this reality of, of you know, an, an eternal damnation, you know, of hell. When he speaks of the, of the fire there, you know, it's, it talks about hell. You know, we saw how, how the Lord does everything he can to reach a person. You know, he, he, first he gave his son, he goes, he, and, he, and he gives us his Holy Spirit to minister to us, to convict us, to convict the world of sin. And the Lord does everything in his power to, to bring a person into, into a, a fellowship with him. The Bible says that, that God's desire is for none to perish. God, and the Bible says that, that God has no, no, no rejoicing in the death of the wicked. But God's desire is that for, is for all to be saved. But yet not everyone's going to be saved. And we saw that, that God is not going to impose His will on somebody else. And God is not going to force somebody to love Him. God is not going to force somebody to have a relationship with, with Him. And God is not going to force somebody to allow Him into their life. So the Lord does everything in His power to reach a person... And then us, you know, our responsibility is to, is to respond to that. So the Lord gave those three examples of that, of that branch. And then he, he goes on in chapter 15 to, to just again pour into the disciples. And then we left off here in verse 18. So after the, after the Lord gave him that example of the branches, he starts talking to them about the love of the Father. You know, so he says, hey, as, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And he starts pouring into these guys just God's love and his own love for them. Then we are here to chapter, um, chapter 15, verse 18. And then he says this. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. But all these things they will do to you. For my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken, spoken to them, they would have no sin. But, be, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which, I, which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen it and also hated both me and my father. 
But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, who I shall send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So again, so, so the, the Lord Jesus continues to just uh, have this conversation with his disciples. You know, keep in mind that they're only a few hours away from Jesus being betrayed, being handed over to the, to the religious leaders, and being crucified and made a public spectacle there, there in Israel. So as all this is going on, you know, they're just hours away. They're hours away. The, the religious leaders are probably on their way right now to, to get Jesus. You know, and, and, and these are the, pretty much the Lord's last words with his disciples before he goes to the cross. He starts again pouring, pouring into them about God's love. And then in contrast to the love of the Father... Now he, he tells them about the hate of the world. So he tells them about the love of the Father, and then now the hate of the world. Now Jesus uses this phrase, the world. The world. And we see that all, all throughout the New Testament, you know, and all throughout the, the Bible. And we see that, that Jesus uses this term to describe the worldly, carnal system. So it's not the physical world. It's not that, you know, everything about this world hates us as Christians. But he, he uses this term to describe a worldly, carnal system. And Jesus calls Satan the prince of this world. So we see that Satan is a major influence in the world's philosophies, its education, its false religions, its, its ideologies. So when the Bible refers to, to the non-believers as the world, you know, it's talking about a world system, a world system that is set up purposely to, to, to go contrary to everything that the Bible teaches, to go contrary to, to, to who God is. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So he said that, that the God of this age has blinded the minds of those who can't believe. So we see that, 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 that certain people, you know, they just, for whatever reason, it's like they're just blinding you. You talk to them about Jesus. You share with them about, about the Lord. You share with them about God's love. And it's, like, it's like there's this brick wall right here. And sometimes you wonder, like, man, what's going on? You know, like, how do you not get this? How do you not respond to this? And the Bible tells us that the God of this age, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that the God of this age, talking about Satan, has blinded their minds. Now, this, this is a work that could be undone, you know, through a lot of prayer. You know, sometimes it takes a lot of prayer, a lot of sharing of God's word. But, but we see that the reason why, why a lot of people don't come to the Lord is because Satan had just blinded their minds. So we see that, that this Satan, the prince of this world, you know, his, his, whole, his, his whole agenda is to keep people from coming to God, to keep people from believing in Jesus, to keep people from entering into a loving relationship with God the Father. And we see that that's, that that's his whole purpose in the world. It's just to, just to keep people from, from coming. Welcome. And we see that, that, is, that his main purpose is to keep people from coming to the glorious light of Christ, to keep people from knowing that there's a God in heaven who loves them, who cares for them and who has plans for their lives. Who just wants to take their burdens and worries and cast, up, cast them upon himself. So he starts talking to them about, about the hate. The hate of this world. The hate that they're going to experience in this world. Now for, for the first century believers. You know for the, for the audience of this time right now. For the disciples. Who's, and Jesus is talking to the disciples. For them it, it, it had a special meaning to them. Because they were going to experience firsthand the the persecution of this world. They were going to experience firsthand the persecution from Rome, from Caesar Nero, the first century believers, you know, were going to experience this hatred of the world firsthand. If you guys ever get a chance to read this book, it's uh, called Fox's Book of Martyrs. 
You know, and it's just pretty much a whole story of, of people who have, who have died for the name of Christ. It's pretty crazy. You know, and it, gives, it gives accounts you know, through, a, through church tradition, through just history of, of, of people who, who have, have given their lives up, who have lost their lives for the cause of Christ. So we see that James, you know, who was one of the disciples, James, the disciple, you know, was uh, Herod put him to death by the sword. And it said, we read that in Acts chapter 12 too. Peter, church history tells us that he was crucified upside down. And he said, I'm not worthy to, be, to, be, to, to die the, the same death as my Lord. So he was crucified upside down. Matthew, history tells us that he was martyred in Ethiopia. He was stabbed to death. John, the writer of this gospel, was boiled alive in a huge basin of oil. He survived and they sent him to, to an island called Patmos. And he was later released and where, that's where he penned his, the, 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 his last uh, letters there in 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. James, the brother of Jesus, who officially wasn't a disciple because he didn't believe in the Lord until the Lord resurrected. History tells us that, that, he, that he refused to deny his faith and was thrown off the pinnacle of the temple there in Jerusalem. He survived the fall and then these guys just beat him to death. Nathaniel was whipped to death. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross as he preached to his tormentors for two days until he died. Okay, so Andrew, Andrew was there crucified on an, on an X-shaped cross and it took him two days to die. And while he was dying, he just was preaching to, to those guys that, that, were, that were crucifying him. Thomas was speared to death. Matthias was stoned and beheaded. And Paul, it says that, uh, that Paul, was, after writing a second letter to Timothy, he was tortured and beheaded in Rome by Emperor Nero in AD 67. So again, Jesus is telling his disciples there about the hatred of this world. He says, hey, you guys are going to experience hatred from the world. He says, if the, world, if the world hates me, it's going to hate you. Why? Because the servant is not greater than his master. If I'm, if I'm going to experience this, you're going to experience it as well. So if, we, if they persecuted Jesus and, Jesus, and they will persecute us. I mean, we live in, in, in America, you know, which is considered a, a, a Christian country. And praise God that, you know, that, that, that we have a lot of privileges that most countries don't. You know, but even, even as we speak, there's persecution going around the whole world. You know, I mean, the latest one that we hear about is, is in China, you know, where the underground church is just being persecuted hardcore. We know in Egypt that, that you know, there's, there's that Christian, Christian churches are being bombed every single day, you know, by these extreme, uh, extreme religions. In Colombia, South America, I mean, we're down there, we got to experience a, a little taste of what's going on down there. But there's this, uh, there's these, uh, this militia. There's this militia, which is like it's like a socialist movement. It's a militia, and, and, they're, and they hate pastors. They hate Christians. They go into churches. They drag the pastors out, torture them. Sometimes never bring them back. So we see that there's, there's persecution going on in the whole world. You know, and this thing, like, shouldn't, they shouldn't surprise us. I mean, even in, in, in central Mexico. I mean, my brother's down there. You know, he's, he's seen a little bit of it. You know, but certain parts of central Mexico, they're just, uh, that they're just hostile towards the gospel, hostile towards biblical Christian, Christianity. But we see that, that, that Jesus told us that, that, these things, that these things were going to happen. He starts talking to the disciples and starts telling them, hey, if they hated me, they're going to hate you guys too. But on that same token, he says that, that if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So it's not all bad news. He says, if they hate you, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. And he says, but if they keep my word, they're going to keep your word also. And hey, all of us are here because we kept God's word, right? All of us are here because somebody preached the gospel to us. We came to save faith in Jesus Christ. And man, here we are. Now we're just reproducing. We're, we're, we're sharing that same message with other people. 
So it wasn't, it wasn't all horrible. You know, a lot of people have believed and kept Jesus' words up until now. Millions, millions of people throughout history. And, and they will continue to if we continue to preach it. And this chapter, chapter 15, ends with a beautiful promise. Verse 26 and 27, it says, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send from you to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, says that he will testify me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So he ends with a beautiful promise. And that's the promise of the Helper, the, the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus introduced the Helper to them there in John chapter 14. And we see that, that, that the Greek word for helper right there is a parakletos. So it, it is somebody that's going to come alongside of us. So he says that the helper, the parakletos, so that he will come alongside of us and empower us to be those witnesses of Christ. And he says of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit will testify of me, will testify of Jesus. So we don't have to worry about trying to walk this, this walk out on our own. We don't have to worry about facing these difficulties on our own. Why? Because the spirit of the living God who dwells inside of us now is, is going to walk with us. He's with us. He's going to empower us to, for that boldness that we need in the moment. He's going to empower us to, 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 to walk our, our, our walk with Christ. He's going to empower us to just be faithful witnesses of Him until, until the Lord decides to, to take us home. And being that we, that we will suffer persecution and receive hatred from the world, we can't do this alone. I mean, if, if, if the Lord just said, all right, here you go. Here's a commission. Go share the gospel. Go live for me. And, and, and left us on our own. Like, I think a lot of us would have just thrown in the towel a long time ago. But because he gave us his Holy Spirit, because we have the spirit of the living God dwelling inside of us, then, then man, we have all the power to, to walk this, this walk with him here in this world. So we are called as believers to abide in the vine. There in chapter 15. To abide in Christ. And through abiding, we're, we are given the power to live our Christian lives you know, but that only comes through through the flowing, that, 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 that flowing power that comes through abiding in Christ, abiding in the vine. And again, he tells us that we're not alone in this. That yes, there will be opposition. Yes, there will be difficulties. But there will also be great victories in Christ. One of my favorite Psalms is there in Psalm 60, uh, verse 12. And it says, through our God, we will do valiantly. It says, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. And this was a... This was a verse that, that Jim Elliott wrote, wrote back to his family back home right before he got speared to death there in, in Ecuador as he was ministering to the Aka Indians. He wrote home and he wrote uh, Psalm 60:12. Through our God we will do valiantly. Then he, he ended up getting speared to death. But he did do valiantly because they ended up reaching that whole cry for Jesus. And with that, we're going to chapter 16 of the Gospel of John. And he starts off by saying this, verses 1 through 7. He says, these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So the Lord continues this conversation with the, with the disciples. You know, there's a chapter break here, but, the, but there was no break in the conversation. So he, he ends, we end chapter 15 with the introduction of the Holy Spirit. And he gives a little bit of the, of the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers. 
And he just expounds on it here in chapter 16. But he tells him this. He says, these things I tell you so that you will not be made to stumble. There in verse 1. Now that, that word stumble, you know, it, it, it means so that you won't be taken by surprise. The, the, the literal word means, you know, being caught in a, in a trap which you didn't see. Like if you're walking through the jungle and then there's like a, one of those traps and boom, you get caught in it. So Jesus says, I tell you these things so that you won't get caught in a, in a trap by surprise. So he's giving the heads up. He's giving the heads up and he's telling, he's telling them, hey, don't be surprised when these things happen. And then he says, but now I go away and it's to your advantage that I go. Now keep in mind that, you know, that, that, these, that these guys have been walking with Jesus for three years. Again, he's been there everything for these three years. You know, if they were hungry, and the, the Lord fed them. If, if they needed money, and the Lord provided for them. If, if they were, you know, receiving opposition from the religious leaders, and Jesus would step in and defend them. If they, if they needed anything, you know, I mean, they were walking with God himself. You know, so he was there everything to them. And now he's saying, I have to go, but it's to your benefit that I go. You know, these guys are wondering, man, what's going on? What do you mean by that? They didn't fully understand, you know, and, and they didn't understand that they were hours away from seeing their, their, their Messiah crucified. But he says, it's to your advantage that I go. Now, while Jesus was here on earth, while he was still here on earth, the Holy Spirit was not yet given to, to us as believers. You know, and we know that, that, that while the Lord was here on earth, you know, he was 100% God and 100% man. In theology, you know, there's, there's a term for this called the hypostatic union, you know, which talks about God's, God's Jesus' full deity, meaning that he's fully God, you know, and he's fully man. So even though he was fully God, he took on human limitations. So if there was a believer there, there in Galilee and, and, he, and, he, and he was over here in Samaria and there was somebody suffering, you know, he had to pretty much run all the way down there to be with this believer. Now, if somebody needed something from him, he had to run down there and, and be with this person. So he couldn't be omnipresent while he was here in this earthly body. So he says, hey, it is, it is necessary. It's to your benefit that I go and be with the Father. Because if I go, when I go, be with the Father, with the, be, go and be with the Father, so then the Holy Spirit will come. So God's very own Spirit. And, and now every single believer, no matter where we're at in the world, you know, are indwelt with the Spirit of God. Have, have that access, that direct access to God through His Spirit. But again, we're looking at this from, we're looking, we're reading this from, from this side of the cross. You know, they're, they're, they're hearing this from this side of the cross. So they didn't fully understand it. You know, so again, while Jesus was here on earth, He was limited in His human body. You know, He couldn't be with everyone at the same time. So it was necessary that, that He ascended to the Father so that the Holy Spirit would come and do the work that, you know, that, that Him and His limited body cannot do. Verse, verse 8 says this. It says, And when He has come, speaking about the Holy Spirit, says, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in Me, of righteousness because I go to My Father and you see Me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And then He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And then verse 13 However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will tell you things to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of what is Mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are Mine. Therefore, I said that He will take of Mine and declare it to you. So, so Jesus had, had introduced the Holy Spirit to them there in chapter 14. And now he's introducing the work of the Holy Spirit. And we see that, that he pretty much 
separates into two. He starts talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. And then he talks about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of all believers. So the work of the Holy Spirit in the, in the world is this. To convict the world of sin. To convict the world of righteousness. And to convict the world of judgment. And then he explains this in the next verses. He says, to convict the world of sin because of its rejection of him. There in verse 9 says, of sin because they do not believe in me. You might think, is it a sin to not believe in Christ? It is. I mean, we see that, that, that all sin pretty much stems from an unbelief in God, from an unbelief in Christ. I mean, when you, when you take away God, when you take God out of the equation, when you take the Bible out of the, out of the equation, you take away absolute truths. You know, and now we see that, 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 that people have this mentality, this philosophy that, 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 that there is no absolute truth. But that, but that truth is, is relevant to, to whoever, whoever, whoever speaks it. You know, so without that, that absolute truth, without that, that, that moral, that, that good moral standard, which is the Bible and God, then pretty much everyone is, is open to do whatever they feel is right in their own eyes. But Jesus said that the, that the Holy Spirit would come in and that he would convict the world of sin. It says, of sin because they do not believe in me. So again, all sin stems from this unbelief in Christ. All sin stems from this unbelief in God and from this unbelief in God's word. Because God is, is our absolute truth. So he says, to convict the world of sin because it's rejection of him. And then he says, of righteousness. And he's talking about the righteousness made available through the work of the cross. Now this, this word convict, you know, it's, it's not a... So it, it, it gives you, it gives you the, the idea, that it gives a picture of, of, of revealing so it says that, that, that the Holy Spirit will, will, will reveal the sin of the world, their sin of not believing in Him. And that He will reveal this righteousness that is made available through the work on the cross. And then it says that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of the coming judgment of sin. It says because the, of the ruler of this world has been judged. Talking about Satan. So He will convict the world of the coming judgment of sin because Satan, the ruler of the sinful world, has already been judged. And you'll see that, 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 that Satan was judged there in Genesis chapter 3. When, when, that, when that prophecy was given to Eve. Where, where she says, after, after Adam and Eve sinned, God spoke to Adam and Eve. And he gives a prophecy to her. There in the, in the third chapter of the, of the Bible. From the very beginning. And he says, and, and he tells her that. that uh, he says, the serpent will, will bruise his heel. But he will crush his head. Talking about Satan. That the seed of the woman being Jesus Christ will crush the head of the serpent. So Satan was, was judged way already way back then. And then Jesus talks about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer there in verses 12 through 15. And then he tells him, hey, I still have a lot of things to tell you, but I can't, you can't understand them now. You, won't, you can't bear them now. You know, so, so there were many, many things that the disciples still needed to learn about this new ministry of the Holy Spirit. And keep in mind, you know, that, that, again, we're living on this side of the cross, so we have the benefits of, of coming to the Lord and experiencing the fullness of Christ and experiencing the fullness of His Spirit at the very moment that we, that we, that we believe in Him. Because the Bible says that, that at the very moment that, that we're saved, at the very moment that we place our faith in Him for salvation, that we're automatically empowered by the Holy Spirit, that the, the Holy Spirit automatically indwells us fully. Now, to the believer at the time, to the follower of Christ at the time, they didn't have this, this benefit yet because Christ had not ascended to the cross. We read throughout the whole Old Testament of, of instances when the Holy Spirit would come upon people for, for, for moments, you know, for specific tasks. You know, he came upon Moses. He came upon those guys that were with Moses there in the, in the wilderness. 
He came upon Samson. He came upon Saul when he was anointed king. He started prophesying. And people started saying, whoa, is Saul among the prophets? So we see that, that, that on that side of the cross, the Holy Spirit will come upon people to empower them for, for certain things in, in certain, certain moments. But it wasn't a, a permanent indwelling. So Jesus is telling them, as he's explaining to them this work of the Holy Spirit, this new ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, Man, I have so much to tell you guys, but you guys can't understand it now. But we see that, that, that they would learn these things as, as they were empowered by the Holy Spirit there in the book of Acts. And they were going to learn about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which the Bible talks about 21 gifts of the Holy Spirit. They were going to learn about the baptism of, about the, of the Holy Spirit. They were going to learn about the work of the Holy Spirit and the Gentiles, which was foreign to them because to them at the time they thought that, the, that, that God, that salvation was only to the Jew. And then Jesus says, hey, when the time comes, the Holy Spirit will guide you to all truth. He will speak to you. He says, I will speak to you through the Holy Spirit because he will relay the message. So again, he's, he's trying to explain to him like this. this he's, it's like he's giving the, the coming of attractions. You know, when you go to the movies and, and you see all the previews for the, for the movies that are coming out in the summer or the movies that are going to come out on, on uh, you know, the following weeks or whatever, you go and they just give you like a sneak preview and you're like, oh man, I can't wait to watch that movie. You know, and they give you all the best things. So that's what Jesus is essentially doing. He's giving them like little sneak peeks of, of this new ministry of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And they're just like at the edge of their seat saying, oh, wow. You know, because they didn't fully understand this. In verse 16, he says this. He says, a little while and you will see me. He says, a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he, say, that he says a little while? We don't know what he's saying. So the people just say, man, what is he talking about? Because Jesus says, a little while and you see me. And a little while and you won't see me. And these guys are just in their heads saying, man, what, what is he talking about? And then verse 19, it says, Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. And he, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me. Most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament. But the world will, will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers her, the anguish. For the joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice. And your joy no one will take from you. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Okay, so as, as he's talking to them again about this new ministry of the Holy Spirit, their minds are just bound everywhere. What is he talking about, this new ministry of the Holy Spirit? What is he talking about, this indwelling of, of the Spirit? What is he talking about? I'm going to go with the Father and, and, and it's to your benefit that I go. And now they're saying, what is he talking about that we see you for a little bit now, we're not going to see you. So keep in mind that they're only a couple hours away from seeing their Messiah betrayed and crucified. I mean, Judas is right around the corner with, with, the, with the angry mob about to take Jesus away. You know, so the disciples didn't understand what Jesus was saying. And definitely seeing Jesus crucified was the farthest thing on their mind. I mean, they, had, they, they weren't thinking that, that their Messiah was going to be crucified. 
You know, they weren't thinking that, that, that Jesus was going to be betrayed. You remember, they were fixed on an earthly Messiah. You know, and to them, when, when Jesus came, you know, they were thinking that, that Jesus was going to establish an earthly kingdom right there and then. To them, when, when, when Jesus came in, in Jerusalem riding on the donkey and everyone was saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When he was being proclaimed as king to them, in their mind, they thought that Jesus was going to come in, that he was going to overthrow Rome, that he was going to overthrow the, the, the governing system of the time, and that he was going to set up his kingdom. So in their minds, they're thinking, man, Jesus is going to come in right now, we're going to reign with them. They even asked him, hey, when you come into your kingdom, can, can I be on the left and can I be on the right? So that their minds is, is thinking about the earthly things. You know, so Jesus being crucified is the farthest thing on their mind. And then Jesus clarifies this for him. He, say, he says, you will lament, but your lament will be turned into joy. Talking about the crucifixion. You know, so he, and then he gives the example of a woman in labor. He says at the, uh, that at the moment, it's painful. Talking about labor. He says at the moment, it's painful. But when the new, new life is born, says, the pain is turned to joy. And I'm not a woman, so I can't speak for all women. But <laughs> I'm taking Jesus' word for it. He says that, 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 while, that while the woman is in labor, it's a, no, definitely, I mean, definitely a, a painful experience. You know, I've, only, I've only heard it, I've only seen videos, you know, and, and, and that's, it. that's it. You know, but it looks painful. But Jesus says, hey, when a, when a woman is in labor, you know, it's painful, but as soon as a baby is born, that pain is turned into joy. Why? For, for, for the joy of a new life being brought into this world. And he says, just, he, says, he gives that example and he says, hey, just, just how this woman is in labor you know, and she's in pain and then when the, when the baby is born, that pain is turned to joy. He says, so you guys are, are going to be in pain when you see me crucified. You're going to be in pain when you see me whipped. You're going to be in pain when you see me beaten. You're going to be in pain when you see me buried. But when you see me resurrect, that pain will be turned to joy. Amen. So it's like when they, when they see him resurrect, now they're going to understand everything he was saying. So the disciples were going to sorrow at the sight of Jesus being beaten, being crucified. But their sorrow will be turned to joy when they see him resurrected. In verse 25, he says, These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language. But I will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that... And I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples then said to him there in verse 29, See, now you're speaking plainly and using no figurative speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So they weren't able to fully comprehend these new spiritual insights because they did not yet have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus had to pretty much bring it to plain words and explain to them plainly what he was talking about. But we see that Jesus, through the ascension, through, through him ascending to the Father, now we have another benefit. And so he's saying, again, it's to your benefit that I go to the Father, one for the Holy Spirit, 
And he gives us another benefit. Because now through Jesus' ascension to the Father, now there's this restored relationship with God the Father. Now us as, as believers, you know, once, once we place our faith in Jesus Christ, now God sees us not for our unrighteousness, but for the righteousness of Christ. And we see that God being a holy, just God, you know, cannot be in the presence of sin. So there's, there, apart from the, from, the, from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, apart from what Jesus did on the cross, now, now there was no way that we could approach God the Father on our own. Why? Because of our sin. But because Jesus ascended to the Father, now the Bible says that He is our mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. Now, it's, now that, that benefit is to all believers. You know, that, that now we have direct access to God the Father. That now we ourselves will come to God the Father because of what Jesus did on the cross. Now to them, you know, it was, it, even that was a foreign thought to them because they were, they were so used to the religious, Jewish, you know, sacrificial system. So to them, you know, ever since Genesis, you know, when, when, when uh, Abel and Cain came and offered a sacrifice to the Lord. You know, and then, then we see that, that Abraham was required a sacrifice to the Lord. Then, then there in Exodus, you know, where God established this, the, 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 the tabernacle and all this, these sacrificial rituals. You know, so to them, it was ingrained in their mind that in order to be covered in their sin, you know, that blood needed to be shed, that an animal needed to be sacrificed in order, them, in order for them to even be, be covered for, for a moment and come to God. So, and now Jesus is telling them, hey, it's your benefit that I leave because... If I leave, now you're going to have direct access to God. So this is, you know, for them, it was hard to comprehend. It was hard to fathom. It was hard to understand. Because they were just so, so ingrained in this, in this, uh, in this religious system of, of, of sacrificing animals. You know, but now he's telling them, like, hey, I'm going to be the ultimate sacrifice. And because of the sacrifice that you're going to make, now they're going to have that direct access. And he tells them this, for the Father himself loves you. It says there in verse 26, In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you. And I was reading this, you know, and I got stuck right there. I got stuck and I read it, man, I must have read it like 15, 20 times. For the Father himself loves you. For the Father himself loves you. And it's like the Lord was ministering to me and he was telling me, Angel, you need to understand this. For the Father himself loves you. And I just thought, man, Lord, that's so heavy, you know, and we could easily just uh, read through this. We could easily just do our, do our Christian walk and, and do our Christian deeds and, and lose sight of this, of this just awesome reality that the Father himself loves you. Knowing that, that there's absolutely nothing that we can do to gain the Father's love. Knowing that there's absolutely nothing that we can do to, to gain the Father's favor. Knowing that there's absolutely nothing that we can do in of ourselves to come to the Father except for just believing in Christ. He says, the Father himself loves you. Man, Lord, but you know everything I've done. Man, Lord, you know who I am. Man, Lord, you know who, who I am behind closed doors. You know who I am here in my thoughts. Lord, you know who I am here in my, in my heart. And he says, the Father himself loves you. I thought, man, Lord, that's heavy. That's heavy. So Jesus says to him, hey, in that day, he says, you're not going to have to come to me so that I can preach to the Father for you. Why? Because the Father himself loves you. We're gonna have, we have direct access to God the Father through what Jesus did. It's not like we have to go over there and, and beg Jesus, Lord, Lord, please pray to the Father for me. Lord, please convince God the Father to love me. Lord, convince God the Father to, to, to answer this prayer. Lord, convince God the Father to bless me with this thing. Lord, convince God the, God the Father to show me His will. 
He says, no, because he said, God, the Father himself loves you. So the Father himself loves you. So because of what Jesus did, you know, because of our faith in Jesus, now our restored relationship with God, the Father, is one of love. It's not of works, not of, not of you know, we have to go and do and do and do and do in order to be in, in God's favor and to be in his love and in order to get God to hear us. You know, it's like, oh, I got to go to church at least four times a week and I got to at least put in this many hours of service to God so that he could even look at me. I like, know, you know, now our relationship with God the Father is one of love. I just thought that was amazing. And then he tells them this. He, we end this chapter with, with, uh, with these last words from Jesus. He says, In the world you will have tribulation. So he's giving them these awesome truths from Scripture. These awesome truths, of, again, of the, of, of the helper of the Holy Spirit. This new ministry of the Holy Spirit. This, this new mystery of, of what the Holy Spirit is going to do in their lives. The new, this new mystery of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Of the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. You know, this new mystery of, of him ascending to the Father. And then now them having direct access to God the Father. And then he says, hey, in this world, you will have tribulation. Now, this is something that, that is not exclusive only to Christians. You know, sometimes we think that, uh, that we come to God, you know, we come to Christ, we become Christians. All of a sudden, boom, we're going to be like, there's going to be a target on your back and Satan's just going to be trying to attack you 24-7. You know, and I remember a couple of weeks ago, when, like about a month now, when we were at the park. And we we're talking to this lady. And I remember we were just talking to her about the Lord and talking about, to her about, about, you know, just, hey, just, just come to the Lord. And I remember her response was, no, you know, I'm comfortable now. She's like, I have a good job. Me and my husband are good. Our kids are good. I'm making a lot of money. If I become a Christian, then all of a sudden all those things are going to be taken away. I was like, that's not true. But sometimes we, we, could, we could think that in our minds. We think that, that as soon as we come to the Lord, that it's like, man, I'll talk downhill from now. Because Satan's going to attack us day and night and 24-7 and he's not going to stop until you're dead. I mean, the truth is that we do experience tribulation, but it's not exclusive to us as Christians. You know, if you look, if you look at the world around us, I mean, less than 20% of the whole world are, 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 are Christians. But yeah, look at all the destruction around the world. I mean, tribulation, pain, sorrow, suffering is not exclusive to Christians only. You know, it's to everybody. We live in a fallen world. We live in a sinful world. And, and none of us are exempt from suffering. But somehow, you know, I think, I don't know if it's the enemy. I don't know if it's just false information. I don't know if it's, I don't know what it is. But, but, but sometimes as Christians, you know, we, we get into this mentality thinking, hey, as soon as I become a Christian, man, I better, I better brace myself for suffering. I better brace myself for, for attacks. I better brace myself for, for you know, for tribulation. It's going to happen no matter what. If you're a Christian or not, you're going to experience tribulation. But we live, you know, exactly, because we live in a fallen world. You know, so every single person, you know, is promised tribulation in one way or another. Now, the difference between a Christian, you know, and somebody who doesn't have the Lord and experiencing tribulation is that we're going to be experiencing the same tribulation. But for us as believers, Jesus promises his peace in the midst of tribulation. And that's something that the world doesn't have. The world tries to drown out the pains of this world with temporary things. A lot of times, you know, drugs, alcohol, uh, whatever it is that do to just numb away the pain. I mean, I was there, you know, a lot of us were there before coming to the Lord, right? We go through a hardship and man, what do you do? You just drown yourself in drugs. You drown yourself in this thing. You drown yourself in, 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 in these other pursuits. You drown yourself in whatever it is to take your mind away from the pain. 
I mean, as I'm even just remembering about my, my, my teenage years, I mean, man, I spent pretty much from age 12 to like 21 when I came to the Lord under the influence of something. I mean, I wouldn't be sober for any longer than a week, two weeks. And, and, and it's like I just numbed myself through my whole teenage years because of what was going on in my life. And that's the world. You know, that's the world. We are all going to experience tribulation, you know, but the difference between the believer and the non-believer is that else, as, we, as we're going through this tribulation, God promises His peace. You know, He, he promises His presence with us. He promises us that, that He's going to not let us go through it alone, you know, but He's going to walk, walk through it with us. You know, so He promises His peace and His sovereign control in our troubles. The Bible says there in Romans that, says, For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purposes. So for the person who loves God, for the person who belongs to the Lord, for the person who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, yeah, these tribulations will come. Yeah, these hard times will come. But now we understand that, 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 we've, that we've rendered, that we've submitted our will to God's. Now God is going to cause all things to work together for His good. All things. That's something that the world doesn't have. You know, they're going through this, these hard times. They're going through, this, through the pandemic. They're going through all these things. And they're like, man, what, what's going to happen to me? You know? Suicide rates went up like 60-something percent just last year. Why? Because people have no peace. You know, they didn't know what was going to happen tomorrow. They didn't know if they were going to survive this pandemic. They didn't know if they were going to, you know, get COVID and, and, and die. No peace. But for us as a believer, you know, we're, we're promised God's presence to the storm. We're promised that He will never leave us or forsake us. We're promised that, 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 that His sovereign hand is going to be in our situation. And we're promised that He's going to cause all things to work together for good. Why? Because we love Him. And so also with that, we have the direct comfort from God the Father in our troubling times. Because we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, now we have God's Spirit comforting us in that moment. You know, we have the working power of the Holy Spirit in us in those times of despair. You know, and the disciples were, were about to understand this, you know, in just a short amount of time. Because they were going to suffer persecution as well. I mean, man, the next book, the, the, the book of Acts, is just pretty much goes through the whole, you know, first century church. And we see the persecution that they suffered. You know, we just read about all the disciples, most of the disciples there and, and just the persecution that they suffered for Christ. You know, but there's this deep intimacy that is born with God when we experience pain and allow God to just carry us through the, through the storm. I mean, man, my, 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 my times of, of, you know, of, of, of intimacy with God, like my, my deepest times of intimacy with God have been some of the most painful. I mean, just a few years ago, you know, seeing my brother hanging from his closet and, you know, because he took his own life and, and just being, you know, in a moment where I was like, man, I, the whole world just pretty much came shattering, you know, crumbling down around me. Some of the most painful times in my life have been some of the most richest times in my life with the Lord because there's just something that happens through this brokenness. There's something to, that, that happens through, through, our, through, through our pain. You know, when we allow God to minister to us through this pain, when we allow God to just have his way through these situations, you know, no matter how painful they may be, like man, this, there's just this intimacy that is just birthed there. As you're in this deep, you know, painful pit, and 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 it's only you and God. It's like the Lord just does something special in you. You know, and there's something that that the, that the disciples experience. There's something that all believers experience. You know, and it's something that's available to all of us as believers. 
The promise of God's presence there with us in our sorrows, in our tribulations, in our hard times, in our situations. It's something that the world doesn't have. But it's more of an encouragement for us to, to, to go out there and share with the world. I mean, how many people do, do we know out there that are suffering? I mean, I hear my coworkers just talking all the time about this, that, the other, you know, the rant. You know, they're just, hey, my wife is this. Hey, my, my kids are going through this. Hey, my family is this. Hey, my mom is this. Oh, my God. I was like, hey, bro, can I pray for you? Let me pray for you. Hey, I don't know what's going to happen, but God does. You know, and, and, and we have that, that, uh, that, that privilege, you know, as believers, that we get to be ambassadors for Christ and just share this, this truth from Scripture and this truth of, 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 of God's presence with us and this, this truth of, of God's help, you know, with us, with the world. So again, we see uh, our abiding relationship with Christ there in John 15. We see the promise of the Holy Spirit, which now we get to experience. And then we see this promise of suffering and tribulation. But along with that, the promise of God, of, of God's presence with us through it all. Amen. So with that, let's end and let's pray. Amen. Father God, I thank you so much for your word, Lord. Thank you, Lord, because we know that your word never returns to us void, Lord.